welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. In Luke chapter, or not Luke chapter 4, uh, Mark chapter 4, This I'm just following the Holy Spirit on this, so this is, I, I promise I'll get to epic quest number 2. When he was doing the sower sows the word parable, which is <clears throat> the parable of all parables, the Lord said, if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand anything. And the parables were the illustrations of the kingdom. So this is why a lot of people don't understand the kingdom. It's because they don't understand the way Jesus illustrated the kingdom through parables. If you don't understand the kingdom, you can't live in the kingdom. If you don't understand English and the laws of America, you will unsuccessfully live here. You might be alive, but you will unsuccessfully live here. And many believers are unsuccessfully living in the kingdom that they're supposed to be in. Yep. The parable of the sower is about the word of God taking over the ground of your heart. In verse, I'm in the interlinear, so if I don't know what, ver what version you got, but whatever it is, it ain't going to be anywhere near this. In verse 15, it says, These now are they along the road where is sown the word, and when they hear, immediately comes Satan. and takes away the word. Do you know how he immediately comes? Offense. Offense. That is his tactic. This is something that I've, I learned a number of years ago and because of it I have a I have a personal penalty flag in my life where if I see a fence come into my life I automatically say Satan now many folks won't because they, what they'll do is a fence will come and they'll say that's right that person did this they said this. This is how they acted. I seen the way they rolled their eyes. And they justify, the moment you justify an offense, the moment it takes root. The moment you justify an offense, the moment you give it permission to be in your dirt, it has roots. And Hebrews says that if it grows roots of bitterness, you're done. I'm telling you, I've been doing this a long time, y'all. 
I have seen this over and over and over and over and over and over and over. The moment it takes root and establishes bitterness in your heart, you're done. At that moment, the marriage is over, the relationship is over, you've quit the church, whatever you got. The moment it takes root, and now it might take a long time before you get to the fruit of divorce, before you get to the fruit of actually canceling that person out of your life, until you get to the fruit of quitting the church. But all that time between root and fruit, you're destroyed. You just don't know it. I have seen this in so many people's lives. I can see it. I can see that root in their heart. And they'll talk to me, and they'll smile at me, and they'll hug me, and they'll tell me how much they love me. And I know, and they know, and God knows that root is there, and it's all fake. And what the Lord is saying through Cheryl and through Deb and through even this right now is, if you got that, you have to on purpose go and pull root. You don't cut off, you pull out. Go in your garden and cut off a dandelion and think that you've done something. You pull out. You know why people won't pull it out? Because it hurts. You put it in there on purpose and now it's deep and you've, and you've surrounded it with emotions and you've surrounded it with justification and you got all the reasons and, and you've told 14 people. And now if you change course, you gotta, gotta go back to all those people and tell them maybe you missed it. Maybe you were wrong. Maybe all that stuff you said to that person wasn't right. Maybe you missed it. God forbid you miss it. Man. Psalm 119, 134. I don't know if we're going to get to the message. <laughs> Cheryl wrecked it. Blame her. Get offended at her. Psalm 119, 134, I think. See if I'm right. Nope. who love thy law. One sixty-five. Psalm one nineteen, one sixty-five. Great peace have they which love thy law. What's our law in the New Testament? love. Connect this with what Cheryl and Deb said. The law in the new covenant is love. 
Holy Spirit is on this right now. This has a chance to radically affect some lives in here. The New Testament command, the law of the New Testament, is love. Great peace. Great peace. Have they that love? Love. They that love, love. If you love operating in love, peace. We have a term in our society today called a drama queen or drama king. And, and everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. That person that has to have the drama. They're mad at somebody, somebody did something, you know, their, their boss did this, their friend did this, their spouse did this, their kid did this. It's just, it's just never ending all the time drama. This verse explains it. They love drama. When you love drama, if you don't have it, you make it. All you folks that are nodding, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You ain't got no drama in your life and you're a drama person, you make it. You go find it, you create it, you invent it, you make it drama. This says that in the kingdom, in the New Testament, you and I, let's translate this over into the new covenant. The people that are actually in that covenant love, love. And they'll have great peace. Great peace. Isaiah 26.3, don't go there because I want to do the backside of this, but Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou, God, this is a promise. This is one of the few things in Scripture that God says he will personally do. In the New Covenant, we live in the finished work of the cross, and it, uh, almost everything that needs to be done in your life is you. But this is one of those few things where God says, I will. And it says, I will, thou will keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because they, you know, man, I'll have to go there. All right, I lied. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to lie. Go over there real quick and let's unpack this because this is, this is one of my own personal things. I hope you guys are okay with this. I promise I'll do whatever. The number two <laughs> message, I'll do it again. I won't leave anybody hanging. I know I made a promise. I will follow my promise. I'm just going to be late. Anybody ever been late before? Okay, well, I'll give you grace. You give me grace. The rest of you that have never been late, Okay. Thou, this is as thou, God. Man, I hope this resonates with you. God will keep you. God will keep. This is not you. This is not, this isn't Kay's responsibility in my life. This isn't my great, awesome leadership team. This isn't, 
uh, all my Facebook friends that are always going to affirm me and tell me how much they love me. <laughs> I know it sounded funny coming out. God will keep. This is a word for preservation in the Hebrew. It literally means to like seal, pack, like vacuum pack. He will keep you. He will keep you in perfect peace. Perfect, y'all. God doesn't throw around adjectives because he's bored. This isn't him being poetic and, and Shakespearean. Perfect peace. Peace that cannot be undone. A peace that doesn't come and go with, with the wind and the waves and the storms or the lack thereof or people's opinions or, or culture or society. It's a peace that's perfected. It's not the lack of, the world's definition of peace is the lack of conflict. So right now I'm not fighting anybody, I'm in peace. No. Because your heart is still agitated. You're ready for a fight, you're looking for a fighter, you're looking for someone to come and fight you, you're not at peace. God will keep you in perfected peace whose mind is stayed on thee, God. We just talked about this at men's yesterday. The, the verse popped up on my phone. Anybody get the verse of the day? I get the verse of the day. And the verse of the day yesterday was Philippians 4, 8. I don't know if 9 was attached to it because I'd just seen it pop up and I just quoted it in my heart, and I quote them together, eight and nine, which is, I have such a testimony to this, and I don't know if I got time to tell it, but it says that whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, if Ryan, oh, it's Lee. <laughs> like what? What are you saying? <laughs> whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are just, if there be any virtue and there be any praise, think on these things. Amen. And my testimony is when we came, I'll do it really fast, the guys know it better. But when we came here from Texas, I bought a restaurant and I thought I was gonna get $168,000 of stock options and, and the corporation decided that they were gonna keep half. They just decided and kept $80,000. Because they can do that. And that's how our world works. And so we literally came with 80,000 less dollars than we had anticipated. And we'd already spent a bunch on buying the stuff for the church and doing all the 501c3 and spent, we spent $20,000 before we even showed up, starting a church for 12 people in a funeral home. <laughs> Great investment. <laughs> and amen, amen. 
bought a restaurant with the remaining cash, and so the bottom line was we'd planned on living off the 80 and spending the 80 to get here and buy the church and do the stuff and, and get all set up and then live off of it because we knew there'd be no money in the church and we knew there'd be no money in the restaurant. We just knew that. And then we got here and I was right. Prophesied ourselves right in there. No money in the church, no money in the restaurant. And the problem is, is that we had no other money to live off of. And so here we are, broke as a joke. And I'm at my restaurant and it took a good solid three months before we even, before I had a probably a profitable week. It was such a broken restaurant, such a broken restaurant. The day before I showed up and bought the restaurant, they didn't have a call. Not one single order the day before. Not like it was low sales. No sales. <laughs> Praise Jesus. <laughs> and they didn't tell me it for like months. Like, oh, you didn't know. Uh. So I was trusting God, doing the best I could, but you got to believe that as a guy who went from a six-figure income and seven houses and all the stuff and, and to go out and do God's thing and be broke, like negative broke. And I would go in that restaurant and it'd have like five calls for the whole time I was in there. And in between calls and in between orders, I would just, I would literally walk around my restaurant and I would pray in tongues and the enemy, Satan, would come. This is what God told you to do. God told you to come back to Illinois, the cesspool of Illinois, and buy a broken restaurant? You're so stupid. What kind of a businessman? And start a church, and all you can do is beg your family to show up? This is what God told you to do? Oh, Mr. Mr. Believe in Prosperity of the Gospel. How many times has your phone rang, preacher? Hey, you know what you probably should do? You should stand up Sunday and tell everybody at your church about prosperity, hypocrite. Your kids aren't going to have clothes for school. You're going to have to beg for food. You know, the devil quotes the Bible better than you do. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. And here I'm going to be begging bread. So I'm not righteous. Buffet. Buffet. Now, these are 10-hour shifts at this restaurant. I'd get there two hours before I open, six, eight-hour shifts. It's take me an hour to clean up, so I'm there 9, 10, 11 hours. Five, six, seven, eight calls. Don't you know there was a lot of buffeting? And I took Philippians 4, 8, and 9, and I put it on my cash register. And every time I would walk around, I'd make a loop in that restaurant. You're going to be broke. You're going to go in bankruptcy. Your kids are going to starve. Your wife, she's stuck with you up until now. She went through hell with you. The, uh, you're worse than an infidel if you don't provide for your own family. 
whatsoever things are true. What is true? I know that God told me to come here. I know it. I know that he loves me. I know that he's leading me by a spirit. Maybe I'm not listening, but I know. Whatsoever things are honest. You know, I could cheat right now. You know, you can cheat in business. Does anybody know that? You know, you could actually cheat Illinois. You know how many times I was tempted with not paying the, the quarterlies, not, not turning in, you know, in, in our industry, in the restaurant industry, anything you take in cash, you may not have to report that. If you've ever been to a small family-owned business and, and you pay with something in cash, you might notice they don't tend to ring those things up in the register very often. Or you ring up a penny. The reason is, is because they just don't want to give the government more money than they have to. And I get it. When I'm paying $8 an hour for my employees and they're costing me $12 and $14 an hour because I got to pay Illinois 50% as much as I'm paying the person, you don't think that there's a pressure on you to pay them under the table? Make them more money? And you save money? You think there's a pressure on that? Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. You're going to go broke. You're going to be another preacher. You're going to be like that failed preacher. My dad was a failed preacher at one stage in his life. Be just like your dad. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. This isn't, a, this isn't a verse of the day for me. This isn't a refrigerator verse. This is a war verse. I did war with this verse for months. Back to 26, Isaiah 26.3. I will keep him in perfect peace. Perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee. Because, because, notice this. This is kind of the, the connector, the conjunction. What, what gets the electricity from the outlet into your appliance. Because he trusts. The word trust is faith. In the Greek, pistis is the word for faith. And the root of pistis is pitho. Pitho is translated in, especially in the King James, almost every single time as trust. The root of faith is trust. You can't have faith without trust. You can't have a marriage without trust. You cannot authentically be a part of a, of a church community without trust. If you don't trust the leadership, you're just showing up, checking the box, doing the thing. You cannot have a legitimate, authentic relationship with another human being. I cannot have an authentic relationship with my sister Stacy if I don't trust her and she don't trust me. Your relationships go to the end of your trust. Same thing with God. Well, I stood on that promise once. 
I declared by his stripes I'm healed. I didn't see nothing. You might not say it. You might not even tell anybody, but somewhere on the inside of you, your trust ended at by his stripes I'm healed. You cannot go past that with God. That's where it ended. That's the end of the road. Trust. Because he trusts in me. So you could say, if you turn this verse around backwards, you could say, a person that you know that does or does not have peace in their life comes from whether they actually trust God. If your peace is being removed, it's not because of circumstances. It's not because of evil people. It's not because of society and the world. And, and the, we're going into World War III, y'all. Don't you know? They blew up the pipeline and, and Ukraine and, oh, my God, and China and Taiwan. I mean, just it's every day. There's a new layer of fear that you get to embrace depending on where you listen. And it's not to, for them to actually have their goals of getting into whatever they're trying to fear you with. It's to get you out of the peace of God because the peace of God is an actual force on this earth. Luke chapter 2, and this is, I know this is a wild thing that I'm doing here, but we'll get back. Luke chapter 2 if you remember the Christmas story where the angels show up and you probably have like a Charlie Brown image or whatever your cartoon was that is really probably a terrible image of the actual Christmas story. But when the heavenly host showed up to the shepherds, to the shepherds, to the shepherds, keeping watch by night, over their flock. This is why there's some things that I know that other preachers don't know because I actually am shepherding my flock and I'm watching them by night. A hired hand shepherd, you don't give a rip what you're doing at night. You don't care what's coming. As long as he's clocked in, clocked out, these guys that are doing online church and Facebook church and, and, these, and these cool kids that come along in social media or they have big YouTube channels or whatever and they're like, oh, they're the cool new preacher online. Yeah, what's their fruit? What's their fruit? Are they watching their flock by night? You don't know. They could, you know how many preachers I know personally, I know personally, are in adulterous relationships, have alcohol problems, have drug problems, have porn problems, and they are way bigger churches than me personally know it. Don't think just because they're cool online that they're actually a shepherd keeping watch over his flock by night. And then the heavenly host shows up and says, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward man. I can see Linus and Charlie Brown saying it. Luke 2, 
Nope, Luke 1. Yep, Luke 2. That was right. Glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace. Goodwill to our men. Why did, why did the angels proclaim that at the birth of Jesus? Why did they proclaim peace on earth at the birth of Jesus? Because the conflict between God and man was solved that day with the birth of Jesus. God and man were in conflict. You know what the, you know what the word Israel means in the Hebrew? He who struggles. He who struggles. The Israelis were literally named <laughs> after their attitude. Struggling with God. Fighting with God. If you remember, that's why Jacob got his name changed. Because he was wrestling with God. He who wrestles with God. Hey, you used to be Jacob, surplanter, deceiver. Now I'm going to call you the wrestler. We look at that story like, oh, God was so great. He changed his name from deceiver to, what did he change it to? Yeah, wrestler. <laughs> but God would rather have you wrestling with him than being deceptive. See, God values authenticity. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward man. Not among men. You do know that we've been in endless wars ever since Jesus showed up. In fact, they probably have increased. You bring, a, you bring Christianity on the planet, go fighting with the other, the other uh, religions that were in existence. Why do you think they were killing Christians in Rome? They had a polytheistic religious system in, in the Roman system, in the Greek system. And these Christians come in with a new God, and he's the God of all the gods? Well, yeah, there was wars, lots of wars. In fact, Christianity invented Islam. Probably most of you didn't even know that. The Catholic Church invented Islam on purpose to create wars. Amen. I'll just let that go. We'll see if that nukes our YouTube channel. We're on strike two. We're, right now we're suspended, what, for two weeks? So if you're going to watch this sermon, you're going to go get it on Rumble because we're we're suspended by YouTube because I said in a healing Sunday that Jesus heals. Our hater people went online and flagged it, said he doesn't believe in medical whatever, medical misinformation, and flagged it because I said Jesus heals. Yep, that's how you get thrown off YouTube now. Jesus heals. Goodwill toward man. Jesus was the birth of us understanding God's goodwill toward man. Peace is understanding your relationship with God through Jesus. That's why Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So thou will keep him in perfect peace. Perfect peace is Jesus, just so you know. Whose mind, going back to Isaiah 26. Now here's something I want you to get. The word for mind there is nezar, I think, in the Hebrew, uh, Isaiah 26.3. And that word for mind is actually the same word speaking about the womb. 
which is imagination. In the Hebrew, the word for, for womb and imagination are the same. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that kind of... The same thing that the womb of a woman does when, it, when there's a child conceived, that womb grows it, nurtures, nurtures it, develops it, protects it, is the exact same thing that your imagination does with the things of God if you keep your mind stayed on there, if you keep the umbilical cord of your focus connected to what God's trying to grow in your imagination. And I hope that connected. Your mind, your imagination, what you think on is the womb of your life. That is, that is the, is, that's what's being gestated to create in your life. And the word of God is the seed. This is a whole teaching. I don't have time to do this, but the seed does not produce the fruit. The seed does not produce the root. The seed tells the dirt what to make. Man, I hope hope this lands. Dirt is supernatural. Dirt. Some of the farmers in here probably have this. The seed is, all it does is produces the coding. It's, it's, like, the, it's like the computer language. It, it's, the, it's the programming. The seed is the programming, but the dirt actually makes the thing. It's the dirt that's incredible, supernatural. It's not the seed. The seed just tells the dirt what to do. It's your heart that produces the things. God's word comes into your heart and it produces the program. And it's your heart that actually takes it and puts it into action and some produce 30 and 60 and 100. Satan knows this. This is why he goes after your heart where the word of God is. He's not going after body. Okay, think about this. If you were Satan and you knew that the word of God is your mortal enemy, and that's what's going to produce all of the effective activities on this earth that's going to stop you from doing everything that you're called to do. Why wouldn't you just go burn up all the Bibles? Right? Think about, pretend you're Satan for a minute. For some of you, this will be really easy. (laughs) I'm not looking at nobody. Pretend you're Satan and you know it's the word of God that's, that is what's going to stop you from anything and everything. It's the word of God. What do you do? Well, if you think like us, you go after, you'll go after the word. You just go burn up all the Bibles. The problem is, is that in our world, the things that uh, you tend to try to attack and suppress, you go burning books. And all of a sudden, those books become really popular. Because everybody's like, well, you're burning a book. What's wrong with the book? What's, what's wrong with Moby Dick? What's wrong with uh, 
Huckleberry Finn. People are like, why, are you, why can't we, our kids read Huckleberry Finn in school? Well, maybe I'm going to go read it. What's going on in Huckleberry Finn? Oh, you know why? Because it's dealing with racism. It's dealing with a bunch of stuff that people don't want to see worked out in an authentic way in our culture. And so they suppress. But the problem is, is that when you start to suppress this stuff, a bunch of people are like, what? why is the government going after? So the enemy just went around the world and burned all the Bibles. And I, please hear my heart on this. But the best thing that could happen to a lot of people is that the ease of our society, the comfort of our society, the at your fingertips, Amazon, McDonald's, uh, Food Hub or whatever it's called that just delivers food to you, just the best thing that could happen to you is you could be thrown back 100 years and have to fight for stuff. The reason the enemy is not going to go after your Bible is because then it would make it hard and you would value it. But because everybody has 14 or 15 versions at their fingertips, they don't ever read them. You have more access to the Word of God than any generation that's ever existed on the planet. And the American Christian is one of the most biblically illiterate people that has ever existed. Many of our founding fathers were not Christians. They were what's called deists. They just believed in God. They believed in uh, that there was a judge, a righteous judge that everybody would be judged by. They didn't necessarily believe that Jesus was a savior, didn't necessarily believe that he was the son of God. But they believed in God, deist. And I will guarantee you that those deists know the Bible more than 90% of this congregation and a bunch of you signed a contract to read the Bible this year. Biblically illiterate. If, we, if I came into your life, or if the enemy came into your life, took out all the Bibles, took off your apps, took away your cell phone. Well, first off, we'd have to pick you up off the floor out of the fetal position, but <laughs> after that, you realize that you actually needed to have the word of God in your life, you would go on a trek. You would go on a quest to get that word of God into your life. So the enemy doesn't go after the Bible because he knows what will happen if he gets the Bible off the planet. All of you will press into the heart of God. And you'll get the word of God into your heart because it's, now it's hard. Now it's valuable. Now it's worth something. When it's just sitting on your shelf with 14 other versions, it's just another piece of paper. So the enemy goes after the heart because he knows that's the dirt. You know the main way that he goes after your heart? Offense. Offense. And some of you, you know it's like that quick. It could even be someone you love. Hey, married couples, listen to this one. Why is it the person that you literally committed? I don't care if we're broke, baby, if we're rich, or if we're poor. In sickness and in health, you could fall off a horse and break your back, and I'll take care of your loving little self for the rest of your life. Till death do us part. And God forbid they come in and tell you you need to put more deodorant on. <laughs> 
I don't know who that woman thinks she is. I won't wear deodorant all week. Show you. <laughs> That's right. Come in here telling me about deodorant. You're going to tell me how to spend my money? Woman, I make the money around here. Don't you know? Yeah, she knows. She knows. You remind her all the time. Here's, here's your job, woman. You better do what I want you to do when I tell you to do it. You better show up tonight. Mm-hmm. You owe me because I worked for it. And God forbid she don't show up. God forbid she actually has a soul and she doesn't want to be your on-call on -call girl. And she actually wants, yeah, you hear the woos. She actually, wants to, she actually wants to connect. She wants to talk about life. That's not what you wanted. So now you're offended. And you're going to ice her for a week. I'll show her. I won't talk to her for a week. That'll learn her. Yeah, that'll learn her. She'll be way more likely in the future to maybe not. Because quietness from you is a respite. Uh, uh, it was with Kay. Maybe, maybe it was just Kay. But whenever I iced Kay out, oh, that's right, I won't talk to you for two days. She was like, doop doo doo. <laughs> Sweeping the floor. You notice all the peace in the room, kids? Yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> Offense. The enemy knows that that is the first, the easiest, the quickest, and the most long-lasting way to stop your heart, to stop your womb. Offense is the best birth control ever invented by Satan. Man. As soon as that little root gets down in there, there is no baby that's going to be born. I don't care how much you meditate on the things of God. I don't care how active your imagination is with the things of God. I don't care how many verses you quote. I don't care how holy you are. I don't care how many church services you go to. I don't care how much you pray in tongues and how many worship songs you know all the words to. Once offense gets in there, once that root of bitterness works its way down into your heart, your womb is dead. And he's so good at this because he usually starts with the ones closest to you. You know, you really can't get offended by people you don't know. <laughs> this, is, this is comical to me because this is, the, this is the thing that I see all the time that people get shocked by. Like, I, I can't believe that Kay offended me. Like, I could totally expect the kid, because, I mean, he's a jerk anyway, right? Like, that's what he does. He just goes around the world offending people. 
That's just how he is. We're not super close. And so, you know, if he does something that offends me, it's just whatever. It's just the cat. But Kay, how could Kay do such a thing? And I'll guarantee you this, her intentions were never, ever. I know Kay. I can say this about Kay. I don't know about all y'all, but I can say this about Kay. Her intentions never were to offend me. Let me give you something that is one of the greatest things that you'll ever apply to your life right here. You take anything away from this message, take this away. You judge other people by their fruit, but you judge yourself by your intentions. And that is one of the most foolish things you will ever do. You should judge yourself by your fruit. and not judge other people at all. All the time you do something, well, my intentions were, I didn't mean to hurt you because my intentions were, I don't give a rip what your intentions are. That's what happened. You hurt people. Well, I didn't intend to. I don't care what you intended to do. What you did was hurt people. Now go make it right. I'm not making it right because my intentions were good. You judge yourself by your intentions and you judge others by their fruit. Man, if you get that, that will radically change your life. When I got that revelation, again, this goes into personal introspection, which people don't do, because we tend to think all of our problems are everybody else. I'd have a better marriage if, it was, if Kay was a better wife, we'd have a much better marriage. Amen. If Steve was a better pastor, we'd have a much better church. You do know they said the same thing to Jesus. You know, if Jesus was better, amen. When I got set free from that because I was that. I was really concerned about being a good pastor and I would run around and, and patted everybody on the, on the head and, and change their diapers all the time no matter how bad they smelled and I did all the stuff and things to be the good pastor and at the end of all that, working myself fingers to the bone, trying to prove to all these people that I loved them, that I was there for them, that I, that I was on their team, they still did all the exact same mean things to me that they did before I did all that and I had this radical revelation that that's not my job. I'm only supposed to be pleasing Jesus. And so when the fear of my sheep, I know, you guys are, here's super transparency message. When the fear of my sheep as a shepherd, when I remove that, the fear of man brings a snare, I all of a sudden became unsnared. Like, oh, you don't like me? You're mad at me because I told you the Bible and you're going to quit the church? Well, sucks for you. Hope you survive it. Because some people don't. There's dead people right now because they did exactly that. I can give you names. And I'm not saying like, oh my God, Steve just said if we get offended at him, we're going to die. I did not say that. I'm just saying... <laughs> that I am, I am no longer going to be moved by, motivated by whether you're going to threaten me. I had someone tell me one time, he says, hey, look, if you don't do this, I'm not going to tithe anymore. And I'm like, oh, my God. 
please don't. And the person didn't even give very much money. I actually went back to, because I don't know anything about the money. I'm like, okay, how much does so-and-so give? She's like, I don't know, 20 bucks. I'm like, that's their tithe. They make 200 bucks a week. And they threatened me with their 20 bucks as if it was something. As if I'm for sale. And this particular person, almost everybody in their life, their wife was for sale to them. They would buy affection from their wife. And it was so disgusting. That offense making even the tiniest root down into your heart will destroy what God wants to do in your life. And you'll still be alive. You'll still be breathing. You can show up at all the cool Christian events. You can, everybody will think you're awesome because, you know, you're on the worship team and you can prophesy and, you're, and you can do all the stuff. You can pull off all the Christian activities. Check, check, check all the boxes. And once that root, you're dead. Dead. Because it will take the life from your womb. Now back to Psalm 119, 165, 68, 65, 65. Great peace have they that love thy law. Great peace have they that love thy love. <laughs> and nothing. You know, nothing is one of those God words. Just like never, just like always, just like ever. We love to throw these words around. Like we're a very over-the-top society. We always have to over-accentuate too many adjectives and and I know, I'm a writer, and this is what I do. I like to put, <laughs> Mitchell says I talk in threes. If I write, there's like, it's one, two, three. It's comma, comma, comma. <laughs> and I never noticed it until he said it. I'm like, oh, I do do that. <laughs> but God is triune. <laughs> so I'm like God. But the Lord actually dealt with me about five, six, seven, about eight, seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, about um, not, he, he called it lying. I'll just tell you what the Lord said to my, I was exaggerating stuff. You know, preachers do this. A thousand people got born again. Really? That's an awesome meeting. I was there. There was only like 18 people at the meeting. Yeah, but in my heart, it was like a thousand people. Yeah, it wasn't a thousand people. It was 1.4. And the Lord was dealing with me about exaggerating. And I was just like, yeah, but I'm just trying to make a point, Lord, for you. I'm doing it for you, Jesus. And he's like, I don't need your help. And I kind of went back and forth. I know you guys are way more holy than me, and when the Lord speaks to you, you immediately correct everything, and you're perfect little sheep, so God bless you, but <laughs> your pastor is not as holy as you. And he dealt with me for a long time. He said, stop exaggerating. I, I know, Lord. I'll, I'll cut it down. <laughs> Anybody ever do that? <laughs> hey, quit doing that. Okay, I'll do less. 
We okay with that? Can we negotiate, Lord? And finally he came, and the Lord knows, because I, I, my love language is honor, and so the way I love the Lord is by honoring him. And he finally came and said, you're not exaggerating, you're lying. And that's intercourse with Satan. You know, a lie is an intercourse with Satan. When you lie, this is why tailbearing, whispering, gossip, gossip, that kind of stuff behind the scenes, that's why it's so terrible because you're literally having an affair with God, on God, with Satan. Backbiting is having an affair with Satan behind the back of God. God would rather have you live in an open adultery. That's why Jesus said that I'd rather have you hot or cold. But doing that thing behind... Amen. I'd rather have someone come and say, you know, I just really hate you. <laughs> Think you're a terrible pastor? I don't like this church. Purple's my least favorite color. I don't like your voice. I don't even like your boots. And these are good boots. I'd probably tell that person, well, God bless you. You're one of the few people that actually is secure enough and honest enough to tell me. Because other folks would be like, oh, pastor, you're my favorite pastor. And 10 minutes later, I'm pulling a dagger out of my back from the thing that they said, or they implied, because they said, well, I know what he meant, which goes back to like, you know my intentions instead of looking at my fruit. Well, I know that he loves his congregation, he gives, and he, and he works and all, but what his intentions are, judging me by my intentions that you think I have, and judging you by the intentions that you think that you have. Amen. And nothing shall offend them. You know, if you love love, going back to Cheryl's word and Deb's word, do you see this connection here? And the Holy Spirit is on this. I don't very often just U-turn on something that I had planned. Nothing. God word. Nothing. It means you're dead. You are dead to offense. And I want to be this. I'm, I'm like in a coma with a broken back and a failing heart and one lung. I'm not all the way dead yet. I mean, there's still a little. I can be offended. I know this is shocking to everybody in here, but there's still a part of me that's just like, you know what, bucko? I'll pray for you in Jesus' name. Lay hands on you suddenly. <laughs> I, I have a flesh. It flashes just like everybody else's flesh in his room. I, I'm getting more mature, and so my flash is just like, boom. Okay, 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 get back down. <laughs> and then I can be okay. But, I mean, I, I don't, there's things that happen to me I don't get warm fuzzies about. When people say terrible things about me, when we get canceled off of YouTube, and when I get shut down trying to do things for Jesus... Who gets a hate group because you're trying to do things for Jesus? 
people in the world. Jesus literally said it. Hey, if you're in the world, they're going to treat you like they treated me. Yeah, but it hurts me. It felt good to you, right, Lord? <laughs> Read the Bible again. And nothing shall offend them. The thing the person says, the thing society does, the thing um, that your spouse, God bless them, the, the intention that you think they had, nothing shall offend them. Nothing. Which means that you're dead, you're crucified. You know, if there was a corpse up here, I could walk up to the corpse, I could scream at the corpse, I could slap the corpse, I could stab the corpse with my dagger, I could cuss it out, I could... I could do a million things as corpse, and you know, not one of those things will get a response from that corpse. Yeah. Not one. Yeah. At no point will it jump up and say, all right, that's the last straw. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. Now I'm back to life just so I can defend. Dead is dead. Yeah. Galatians 2.20. For I, you, me, we are crucified with Christ. With, not like, with. That means 2,000 years ago I died. Oh my Lord. I am crucified with Christ. But nevertheless, I live. He's, he's actually saying, like, I get it. There's a mystery to this. How are you dead and alive? <laughs> yes. Yes. You're dead to humanity, you're dead to your broken nature, you're dead to the pain and the misery and, and, to, the <clears throat> and to the Adam bloodline. You're dead to that, but you're alive to God. Second Peter chapter one says that we have a divine nature. I used to have a human nature, and some of you probably even said it, maybe even said it this week, well, I'm only human, well, I would encourage you to come to the cross and die. Because once you die, you're not human. You're dead. Or you can be resurrected with Christ, and now you're not only human. There's a human part to you, praise God. Your, your cute little tushy sitting in that purple chair right now. That human part of you is here, but there's more to you now. Now, it's not just that. It's not just what people do to me. It's not just what people say to me. It's not just how I feel anymore. That four-letter F word. Now it's about what I know. It's about the word of God living in my womb and making the things that I'm, I'm, I'm believing God for. I am crucified with Christ, but nevertheless, I live. 
And then Paul says, yet not I. It's not just me that's living. Steve Castle's gone. That guy, oh my God, he needed to go. Ask mom. Well, don't ask mom. She, she has a perfect vision. Steve was just so sweet and so wonderful. I just talking to her on Wednesday when I was at her house. And, I, and, I was, and we were talking about um, another situation where she was saying, oh, I know this person is just, and I'm like, mom, oh my God, that person's a wreck. And she's like, oh, I don't see it. I'm like, you didn't see, I would come up from the, ba- I rented the basement from my parents. And I would come up from the basement, covered in the stench of the night before, hung over, jacked up, Girls still in the basement. And I'd come up and mom would be like, oh, Stephen, you're going to be my little preacher. I'm like, I ain't preaching about nothing. She was unoffendable. I would like walk away from conversation with her. I'm like, that woman has lost her ever loving mind. Lost it, gone. She had the mind of Christ. She's seen me. She's seen through the stank, through the carnal, through the gross. She's seen me. She's seen Stephen, her preacher. (laughs) Who does that? God. You see yourself as that broken person. Well, you're just, a, you're just an addict. You're just a liar. You're just a, a, a hated person. You're, you never do anything right. You're a failure. God says, you're righteous and truly holy. You're perfect. You're beautiful. You are the perfect husband. You're the perfect wife. You're the... He sees you that way. Your fruits aren't quite lining up sometimes to your identity. But he still sees you that way. And he calls you by your name. He doesn't call you by your death. He calls you by your life. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, now, In the flesh. Wait, what? Yeah, in the flesh. This is camouflage. This is your earth suit. You're an alien. And you came down and you took over somebody else's body. And you're sent from another planet. From a different race of of beings. And then you snuck in down here into humanity and you're like, hey, look, it's a normal looking Steve. (laughs) Yeah, that's what you think. If you knew what was on the inside of me. The life that I now live in the flesh. In the flesh. You know, I can actually lay hands on people with these hands, with the calluses on them, with the scars. And people get healed. And some super religious people in the room would say, well, it ain't you. Duh. (laughs) I can't heal anybody without him. 
But him can't heal anybody without me. It's not that complex. <laughs> These hands in the flesh can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Remember what I said way back when? What's the root to faith? Trust. I'm living my life. My life is energized by how much I actually trust him. Now, if I don't trust him, I'm going to lean on my flesh, the arm of the flesh, right? I got to provide for me. I got to go work hard. I got to do all the stuff. I got to have all the right decisions. I got to mentally work it out, use my intellect, lean on my own understanding, Because I can't really trust if Jesus is going to work all that out. I mean, it's, he's invisible. Is he even real? By the faith of the Son of God, who what? Love me. Who loved me? Ties it right back in. Great peace have they that love thy love the law of love, and nothing shall offend them. Paul, in Acts chapter 16, Paul was arrested. For what? Anybody guess? For, for beating his wife? For having one too many speeding tickets? For robbing the corner liquor store? Anybody guess what Paul was arrested for? Preaching the gospel. Wrongfully arrested for doing the right thing. And I'll be honest with you, when Governor Pritzker went all tyrant on me, I got offended. Who in the world do you think you are? I'm doing the right thing. Preaching the gospel, keeping the church open, ministering to people. You big. <laughs> you unnice person. Got offended. Paul gets arrested for preaching the gospel and beaten with a whip where his back is bleeding and then tied up in a dungeon. And he, in the midst of all of that wrongness, nobody in this room suffered like that. Nobody. I don't care how good you've been as a Christian. I don't care how incredible your witness has been. I don't care how righteous you are. You have never suffered in that regard to that extreme, to that extent, and at the end of all of that, Paul was screaming out to God, praying for intercession, asking the churches that know him, send me money, it'll make me feel better. No, him and Silas were worshiping God. Worshiping God. Why? They weren't offended. 
They weren't offended. They weren't offended. Everyone in this room, if that would happen to us, we'd have been offended. Me, me, I'm in the room. They weren't offended. They were worshiping God. And here's how you know that it was authentic worship. Because a lot of people worship God to like get them to do stuff for them. Well, God, if I worship you real hard, will you get me healed? God, if I worship you real hard, will you get rid of this problem? God, if I worship you real hard, if you see me dancing, you'll do stuff for me, right? God, if I fast, you'll answer my prayer, won't you? Like he's a dog on a leash. They were worshiping God and an earthquake came. An earthquake. This is, this is what happened with the earthquake. All the doors opened up and all their chains fell off. It's a very interesting earthquake. Those are the two things that happened in this earthquake. All the doors open up and their chains fall off. And here's how you know they were authentically worshiping God because they loved him. Not because they needed him to do something. They weren't worshiping to get released. They weren't worshiping to get deliverance. Have God come in. Well, I guess since they're singing to me, I better come in and rescue him. No, here's how you know that they were authentically worshiping him because they loved him. Because they were honored to suffer for him because when the earthquake came and everybody got set free, they didn't leave. They stayed and continued their worship session because they loved him. Backs bleeding, wrongfully accused, going through terrible circumstances that almost nobody in this room would put up with because you're an American. Nobody's going to treat you that way. You know, he was a Roman. And it wasn't allowed to treat him that way, and they still did. And he knew that. Think about that. If you knew that they were mistreating you in America today, and they just kept on doing it, you would, you would go nuts. Because you're like, they can't do this. This is wrong. <clears throat> I was sitting with someone not that long ago, and I was telling them about something that was going on in our church. And it was illegal. The, the state of Illinois was totally violating our rights, um, and I don't want to get into it. But this person said, they can't do that. That's illegal. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Have you not been paying attention in the last two years? How many illegal? They're doing it right now. For 50 years, we slaughtered babies. You do know murder is illegal. I don't care if you call it an infant, if you call it a, a pre-born baby. I don't care if you call it a fetus. I don't care what you call it. It's a life. When you kill a life, it's called murder. We did it for 50 years and called it legal. And we're still doing it. Oh, I don't want to get off on that subject. Oh, look, the time's out. <laughs> the Lord had mercy on you. In their love for God, love for his word, love for what God was doing in their womb, in their spiritual womb, they would not allow the offense of what the government did to them in that moment to take away from them what God had for them. And if you read Acts chapter 17, it's the next chapter after 16. 
they go into Thessalonica and start a church. And they go to Athens and start a church. And they go, and they go, and they go, and they start all these churches. They accomplish these incredible, amazing things for God. Supernatural things, demons cast out, people get healed, dead gets raised, because they didn't get offended when they were justified in the right to get offended. Great peace have they that love thy love, and nothing shall offend them. I strongly implore everyone in here, I don't care how tiny that root is. I don't care. I don't care if you think it's justified for you to have that offense at that person. I am telling you, the Holy Spirit has put his finger on this and you need to pull it out. I don't care how painful it is. I don't care if you gotta go to people in this room before you leave here. I don't care if you gotta call someone on the way home. I don't care if you gotta, God forbid, even like kiss your spouse. But whatever that is, the Holy Spirit is asking you to pull that out because he does not want to see the imaginations of your life, your hope, and your future be destroyed because you want one little root that grew into this great, big, massive thing like cancer and eat you to death. Amen. Happy message. I don't know what to say. It's the first time anybody's ever clapped at a message on offense that I've ever. Most time people are like, thanks for preaching that message. I wasn't offended. Now I am. At you. <laughs> amen. Amen, amen, amen. This is a much better way to live, y'all. I have learned to just, if people want to be mad at me, that's on them. It takes two to tango. I know that there's hundreds of people that are mad or offended or angry at me, and I'm, I hope they work it out, because I'm not going to be. I, there isn't a person on this planet that if they invited me over for dinner, I wouldn't go over there and love them and tell them about Jesus and hang out with them. I, don't, I have no offense towards any person. I am free from the offense of all men. That's what Paul said at the end of his life. My conscience is free from the offense of all men. I've got nothing on nobody. And it's much better to just live, just assuming. You know, even if it's just ignorance, I just think everybody likes me. And then when people are mean to me, I'm like, what happened? <laughs> and sometimes people in my life are like, well, they don't like you, so probably that. Oh, okay, amen. Is your hand up or are you worshiping? Oh, there's a, that's a whole, yeah, that's a whole thing. <clears throat> but love is a fruit of the Spirit. And so if you, tie, if you just tie this into love, long-suffering is a whole other thing that I don't have time to unpack. But if you just pick, stick with love, the fruit of the Spirit is one fruit. There's not fruits, plural. 
No S on it. It's fruit. And it has all these parts. So you can't have love and not have patience. You either have the fruit or you don't. Okay, I gotta stop. <laughs> Can do this all day. I don't know who's riding to Colorado with me, but whoever they're gonna get the second part of this. <laughs> Amen. All right, we have some altar ministers that are gonna come up. If you guys would please rise. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.